Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. We're starting a new sermon series that will last for uh, nine weeks entitled The Prodigal God. And um, our small groups that we are launching will be studying the same topic. I'm going to be uh, preaching more or less uh, each Sunday, kind of the topic that you're going to be on. Uh, Since you're watching a video this week showing you the whole picture of uh, this parable of the prodigal son, then uh, I'm kind of going to give you an overview. We're going to look at it uh, in a big picture type of way. As I've said a couple of weeks, as we talked about the word prodigal, um, the word uh, prodigal doesn't necessarily mean sinful. It, it means uh, to be recklessly extravagant uh, is the most basic meaning of the word. Uh, and I, I honestly, um, I honestly think that um, that the title of it, where it's the in most of our Bibles, it says the parable of the prodigal son might be more correct if it said the, the parable of the lost son. Now, let me stop for a minute because I, I need to give you an understanding of something. I don't want someone taking off and saying, well, I was at day three church and the pastor said, you ought to change what the Bible says. That, that is not what I just told you. Uh, because the headings that you find in the Bible are added there by men to help us find stories in the Bible. Uh, they are not inspired of God. You don't find the word prodigal uh, in, in the story that Jesus tells here uh, either. Uh, but the reason I, I say I think the parable of the lost son might be more fitting because Jesus actually in this chapter tells three parables. He tells a parable about a lost sheep. And he tells a parable about a lost coin. And then he goes on to tell a parable uh, about a lost son. Uh, and, and we're going to be spending time uh, in this for nine weeks. I've already kind of gave an advertisement earlier uh, for the video that you'll watch this week. If you've signed up, please show up uh, every night, but especially this first night, and uh, see the video presentation in your small group. If you have not signed up, please do so at the end of the service, because I, I promise I think there will be... Uh, some things that really challenge you and bless you as you go uh, through this study. Uh, over the next nine weeks, we're going to talk about these topics. Uh, today, like I said, we're giving a, an overview to the parable. Uh, next week, you'll be talking about the people that were around Jesus at the time. Uh, that gives you kind of the context. I'll allude to that some today as to why Jesus tells these parables. Uh, then we'll spend a Sunday talking about the lost younger brother. Uh, we'll spend a Sunday talking about uh, what uh, Dr. Timothy Keller, he was the one in the video who wrote the book refers to as the lost elder brother. And that may come as a shock to you because you might think, what do you mean the elder brother's lost? Uh, It's easy for us to see the sin of the younger brother, but you'll understand that more, I think, after today's message. Uh, Jesus in this parable really redefines what sin is. I've kind of just alluded uh, to that. Uh, He redefines what lostness is all about. He's going to talk about the true elder brother, which is really Jesus himself. He's our true elder brother. Uh, We're going to talk about redefining hope. And then we're going to finish up talking about the feast of the Father that he's prepared for us. That's why I said earlier you need to 
know that you can find your place at, at the table. So today, uh, we're just talking about an overview. We're going to do an overview uh, of this parable. There's some important things here that I want you to uh, get, and, I, and I we'll break it down individually over the next nine weeks, but I want you to kind of see it in a, in a big picture, because for you to really understand why Jesus tells this parable, you need to understand the background, and then we also need to get a big picture. So the, the first thing to fill in the blank this morning, if you're following along in, in your notes inside the updates uh, that we handed you this morning, the bulletin, uh, we're going to talk about, to begin with, the context or background to the parable. The, the context is, is a word that's really important when you're studying your Bible because if you, if you take something out of context, context means you are interpreting it in with the scripture and the background of, of what's taking place. Uh, the, the reason we have a lot of cults today is that some people have gone and taken a passage of scripture or a verse of scripture out of context and they pulled it out by itself and they make it a sound like it says something that it doesn't say when you put it back in context of what the scripture has to say. So, you really need to understand the context of what Jesus is talking about here to understand the parable, uh, the, the background of it. Back in the very first of Luke chapter 15, the, the Bible says this, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. Talking about drawing near to Jesus. And the Pharisees, you, you remember who those guys were. They were the ones that thought they were okay. And uh, they thought that by their goodness and by their good works, uh, they would be accepted by God. And they were really prone to looking down on others. They were called the Pharisees in that day and time. Uh, they're still Pharisees today that are like that. You realize there's still legalistic people that are like that in our culture and regrettably in our churches uh, today. So the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. So, so the reason Jesus tells the parables that we're going to look at this morning is a direct result of these legalistic people standing around judging him, being upset that he was doing this terrible thing of letting sinners hang out with him. Now, this morning, I don't think that's too terrible of a thing because I'm a sinner. How about you, huh? Thank God, Jesus allows room for sinners to approach him. And, and that's, you see, the Pharisees did not like that. They did not view themselves as sinners, but these other people were sinners. It's real easy in the parable that he's going to tell that we're focusing on on these weeks, the parable of, of the prodigal or the lost son. It's real easy to see the sin in his life. What we fail to see sometimes is the sin in a Pharisee's life. And, and we need to bear that in mind as we go through this study. See, the reason Jesus tells the parable is that the Pharisees and the scribes, they were grumbling and complaining. So, so they must have been Baptists, amen? Uh, you guys didn't get that. The first service got it good, and they didn't sleep as much as you did. <laughs> and you know, someone's going to go off and say, well, they're kicking Baptists over at day three. Listen, I'm a Baptist. I grew up a Southern Baptist. I've always pastored Southern Baptist churches. This is a Southern Baptist church. That's how I can say what I'm saying. <laughs> They're grumbling and they're complaining. Why? Because Jesus is letting sinners hang out with him. So in a result of their attitude, Jesus goes on to tell three parables. First one is a parable of a lost sheep. And in that story, he, he said, What man of you... 
having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Now, I'm not going to talk a lot about these parables, but I want you to see some things in this parable just real quickly. One, there's, there's a lost sheep. Two, somebody goes and looks for that sheep until they find it. Three, they're happy about it, that they found it, they're rejoicing, and they go home and they call all their friends and say, come have a party with me because I found my sheep. The next parable, and bear in mind what Jesus said there too. Jesus said there that there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that repents. Keep that in the back of your mind. I'll come back to it in a moment. Second parable that he tells is a parable of a silver coin. And he says, or, or what woman having ten silver dollars? I, I'm going to ask Jesus one day, Jesus, why did you have the man owning the sheep and the women had the money? <laughs> I figured I'd get that. They get to pay the bills and they're smart, huh? Well, what woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I found the coin that I had lost. Just so, Jesus once again says something really similar that he did in the last parable about the sheep. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, in this story, I want you to see something. There's a lost coin. There's a lady that diligently searches for it until she finds it. When she finds it, she's happy about it, and she calls all of her friends and says, let's have a party. Then he tells the parable of the lost son. And I'm going to read through it all, and then we'll spend really the second part of the message kind of breaking it down. But I want you to get a big picture of it. And he said there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him in to his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven, and before you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the, the, the fattened calf and kill it. 
And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and he's alive. He was lost and he's found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother's coming. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he, talking about the older son, was angry, and he refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, begging him to come in. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I've served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I may celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, he wouldn't even call him his brother, when this son of yours came, he has devoured your property with prostitutes. You killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, the father said, Son, you're always with me and had all this and all that is mine is yours. And it was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. I want you to contrast those parables in your mind just for a moment. You had something lost and was found, and people were happy, and they celebrated. In this parable, instead of having a lost possession or a lost money, you have a lost person, a lost son. This lost son repents, recognizes the error of his way, and he goes back to his father. And his father is willing to receive him, and so happy that he's come back home, that he throws a party for him. But in this parable, there's trouble. I don't remember hearing Jesus say anything about somebody being upset about the party when the lost sheep was found. Or anybody being upset about the party being thrown because a coin was found. But in this parable, when a lost sinner is found, somebody gets upset. The, the elder son, maybe he's jealous because the inheritance has been split and now more of the inheritance has been spent upon this wild brother that's returned home. Maybe he enjoyed having the spotlight and the focus and being the only son that stayed there and faithfully served his father. But for whatever reason, he's angry and he refuses to attend the party and rejoice. You see, I think it's significant for us to pay attention to and note this. Lost sheep was found. Party. No one upset. Lost coin was found. Party. No one was upset. A lost person is found. And all of a sudden, someone's angry and mad and upset. I think Jesus is using these parables to expose the heart of the Pharisees. Because if you know anything much about the Pharisees and the scribes, they really kind of like money. And they would have been happy that a man found his possession because there's value in that sheep. They would have been happy if this lady found a coin because there's value in that coin. But the Pharisees, because they so disliked sinners, they were unhappy when a lost sinner was found. And God help us, but I'm afraid sometimes we've got the same attitudes in our churches and in our own lives. To where we are not happy when a sinner comes to repentance. 
when a sinner comes to Christ. And you want to know the crazy thing about that? Because we're all sinners, and the Bible says we've all sinned, we all fall short of the glory of God. Who are we to be unhappy and judgmental that a sinner has come to Christ? God, God is exposing that through the words of His Son, Jesus, as He teaches this parable. The Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. They, they hated that. They could not stand it. So Jesus uses these parables to expose the Pharisees and the scribes' hearts, and I think also to destroy what they believed was the right pathway to God. That's the overview. The, the, the main significance, that's the background, that's, that's the context. You see, the main significance to this story, regrettably, what we've done with this parable in churches a lot of times is talk about how bad that younger son was. Because you see, it's easy to see his sin. We can see that kind of sin. Somebody disrespects their father, runs away from the family, wastes all the inheritance, hangs out with prostitutes, and all of us say, yeah, that's sin. But what we have done is identify that sin and we have failed to identify the self-righteousness of the older brother. And I'm afraid his sin is the worst sin of all. That's the context. That's the background. Jesus looked at these people that are unhappy that he's hanging out with sinners. And then he tells these stories about lost things being found. And he said, in heaven there's rejoicing when one person repents. All I want us to spend the rest of the time doing is kind of just get a, a big picture. We're going to look at the content. I'm going to break out about five, five big things out of this story. And then the rest of these nine weeks, we're going to take time to talk about it in more detail. But let's talk about the content of the big picture. See, in this parable of the prodigal son, we get a picture of God the Father in the Father that's there. We get a picture of rebellious sinners in the youngest son that's in this story. But the story that we fail to talk about, as we should in church, and that we overlook many times, because it's easy to talk about the sinner that wasted everything with prostitutes. We also get a picture in this story of self-righteous sinners. I want you to notice five things with me pretty quick. I probably won't even read all the verses. We've already read the whole story, but I'll allude to them as we go through. I want you to notice that Jesus gives us a, a picture, a story of a wasted life. While it's not the main reason that he tells this parable, I think the main reason is showing us the attitude of the Pharisees and the attitude of the elder son. But you cannot deny that he gives us a picture of a wasted life in this story. He, he talks about the results of walking away from the father. This, this younger son, that's what he does. He, he wants the inheritance. He's not really interested in hanging out with the father and loving the father because when he comes and he asks for his inheritance in that day and time, it would have been completely wrong and out of character to have done that in their culture. More or less when he approaches his father, and he said, I want my inheritance now. More or less, he's saying this, Daddy, I wish you were dead already. I wish you were dead and gone so I could have my money, so I could have my inheritance. 
And what the father does, instead of responding like the Pharisees and the crowd around Jesus would have thought, they would have thought the father would have chastened him for even saying such a thing. Instead, the father does this. He sells his property and divides it between his sons. I, I think until I had gone through this study in our small group, I'd always had in my mind, well, he came and asked for his inheritance or like the dad, you know, went in the piggy bank, gave him the money or, you know, wrote a check and gave it to him and went to the bank or whatever and gave him his part of inheritance and he's gone. But that's not what he did. In that day and time, what he did was this. The father was forced to sell off things he had worked for and gain all of his life. He more or less destroyed his own life, the father did, in order to give the inheritance to this younger son. And when he does, the younger son shows his heart because he walks away from the father, wanting to get out from underneath the father's thumb and the father's oversight, and he goes away from the father. And when he gets out there by himself, living however he wants to live, he wastes it all, he blows it all. And I think that's a picture of what will also happen to us in our lives if we decide we want to walk away from the Father. We'll experience wasted lives. When we walk away from God the Father. Second picture I want you to get is a picture of a wake-up call. In this wake-up call, you have a picture of repentance and returning to God the Father. This Jewish boy is off to himself, wasted all of his inheritance. He takes a job feeding pigs, which any self-respecting Jew would not have had anything to do with. But he takes a job feeding pigs, and he's there longing to feed upon what he's feeding the pigs. And no one was giving him anything. And the Bible says, but when he came to himself. I don't know if you've ever woken up in a pig pen or not. And I'm not talking about literally, I'm talking about spiritually. If you've ever walked away from the Father and it took you further away than you thought it would take you, and it took you further into sin than you thought it would take you, and then all of a sudden you wake up and you find yourself in the midst of something you disdain and you hate and you would have always said was wrong years earlier, but now you find yourself there. And you have a wake-up call. That's what this young man did. He had a wake-up call. Can I suggest to you, if you have allowed sin to take you further than you ever thought it would take you, because you're right now, possibly you're being involved with things that you would have thought years ago, I never would have been involved with, I always said was wrong, and now I find myself right in the midst of it. If that's where you are, can I suggest to you, you need to have a wake-up call in your life. He comes to himself and he says, how many of my father's hard servants have more than enough bread? And I'm here starving to death. So I'm going to do this. I'm going to return to my father and I'm going to apologize. I'm going to tell him I'm wrong. I'm going to tell him I'm not even worth to be called his son anymore. But I'm going to return to my father because I can eat better there than I can where I'm at now. Have a better life there than I can where I am now. And can I tell you that's true also of you? You'll have a better life with the father than you will out by yourself. Trying to live life however you want to live your life. Also, I want you to notice this picture that Jesus gives us in this story. We find a picture of a willing father. 
Thank God for a willing father, amen? Thank God for a father that will welcome you when you've strayed. Thank God for a father that, that has compassion for you and will run out to meet you because that's what happens in this story. He wakes up and he goes to his father, but on his way there, while he's still a long ways off, the Bible says the father saw him and felt compassion for him. I, I think probably that gives us the image that maybe every day that father would go out and watch the horizon longing to see that son come back home. And the day arrives that he sees him in the distance. And you see, as Jesus tells this story, it would have shocked the Pharisees because normally what would have happened in that day and time would have been that the father would not have ran out there at all. The father would have stood back and waited for the son to come groveling to him and run back to him. And then the father would chasten him and chastise him for all that he had done. Matter of fact, in that day and time, because of what this younger son had done, legally, the people in the village who would have known what had happened also could have stoned him to death if they saw him coming back through the village because of how he had treated his father. But the father, this father in this story, sees the son coming. And instead of waiting back in hatred and upset at what his son had done, he has compassion and he runs to his son. That would have shocked the hearers. That would have shocked the Pharisees. Because in that day and time, patriarchs of the family did not run. It would have been below them to run. He did something else that would not normally happen. Elderly men in that day and time, the patriarch of the family, would not expose their legs. And you see, because of the, uh, of the gown that they would wear, you've heard in the Bible, gird up your loins. That's what it talks about. It talks about reaching down, taking the garment, bringing it up and tying it around your waist so your legs are free to run so you don't trip up. So he also does something else that would have shocked the hearers, the Pharisees that are there, when he takes his gown and he pulls it up and he wraps it around and he exposes his legs as he runs out to meet his son. They just didn't do that in that day and time. Some of you don't need to do that. After you get to a certain age, your, your, your legs don't look too good, guys, when you expose them, okay? Well, we're long pants most of the time. But in running out and showing compassion, thrill that his son has, has come back when he embraces him, because of what I told you a moment ago, the son could have been stoned to death. You want to know what else has taken place? It's also the father running to his son before anybody could stone him, before anybody could throw a rock at him, and embracing him in his arms, not only showing love for him, but also giving him protection. Because it's like the father is saying, you're going to have to hit me first to hit him. Thank God we've got a Heavenly Father like that. Amen? Thank God we have a Heavenly Father who will run to us when we repent, who does love us, who will embrace us, who will protect us, because the world wants to throw a lot of rocks our way, but He'll run to us and protect us. Thank God for a willing Father. When He runs to Him, the Son starts to repent, and He says, Father, I've... I've sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm not worthy to be called your son. Remember what the rest of the story was? What was the rest of the thing he was going to say? He had already rehearsed it in his mind. He was also going to say, make me like one of your hired servants. Didn't get it out. You want to know why? 
I think the father would not hear any of it, and he stopped him right then. He said, I don't want to hear any of that. He already gave evidence of his repentance and his sorrow by turning and coming back to the father. The father stops him, and he calls his servants, and he says, go kill the fattened calf. And that was something very unusual in that day and time, because they did not eat a lot of meat in that day and time in their culture, especially not the fattened calf. It was safe for really, really, really important events. He said, go get the best robe. You want to know who the best robe belonged to? It belonged to the father. It wasn't the best robe that used to belong to that son. It's the robe that belonged to the father. And that gives us a picture of our heavenly father when we repent and we return to him wrapping us in his glory. He said, put a ring on his finger. And that ring would have been a sign of his authority and a sign of sonship that where people could know he was back in the family, belonged to the family. When we repent, we return to the Father. He closes in his glory. He takes us in as sons and daughters of God. And he said, put shoes on his feet. And that gives us a picture of our Heavenly Father when we come to him, equipping us in how we can walk for him. Thank God for a willing father. Amen? But also in this story, you get a picture of a wrong attitude. And the wrong attitude is seen in this elder brother, this older son, in the way he responds to his sinful younger brother coming home. In this wrong attitude, you get a picture of somebody rejecting sinners who returns to the Father. The older brother was in the field, and as he came drew near the house, he heard the music and the dancing, he heard the party taking place. He asked one of the servants, what in the world is going on? What in the world does this mean? And he said, your brother's come and your father's killed the fattened calf because he received him back safe and sound. And this son, instead of being happy, is angry. And bitter and refuses to go in. I told you earlier the younger son evidently didn't care a lot for really his father's heart because he wouldn't have left like he did. At the same time, this older son doesn't really understand his father's heart because if so, he would have been happy because his father was happy. He would have been thrilled that his Younger brother was home and still being upset about it. A few years ago, and some of you heard me tell this story before, probably five or six years ago, Daryl, myself, a few others from our church was at a, at a church conference in uh, Anderson, South Carolina at New Spring Church, and, and Perry Noble was bringing the message, and Perry was preaching this text that we're looking at today, and, and Perry said something I don't think I thought of before, and here's what Perry said. He, he said the older brother had been so busy working in the father's field that he didn't even know the father's heart because had he known the father's heart he wouldn't have had to have been upset or asked what's this party being thrown for and that man that kind of rocked my world a little bit that day because in the ministry whether you're doing it as a pastor or whether you're doing it as a volunteer if we're not careful sometimes we can be so busy serving the father that we don't even take time to know the father's heart can I tell you what the Father's heart is? The Father's heart is for people to return to Him. The Father's heart is for people to repent. The Father's heart is to receive sinners and make them sons. That's what the Father's heart is. 
And if we understood that, how in the world can we ever stand with arms that want to push sinners away because they've so messed their lives up? And yet the church is known for that, regrettably, isn't it? We become so self-righteous and so self-centered that we act like we don't even want sinners to return to the Father and have the wrong attitude that we see in this story. Last thing I want you to see is this, a wrong approach. A wrong approach. As we look at this elder son, we see a picture of somebody that's relying upon their good works, relying upon their service, relying upon their obedience and their own personal faithfulness to earn their way to God. His father came out and entreated him. Father found out he's outside and upset and won't come in to the party. But he answered his father. It's like he stopped his father. You see, we, we saw earlier the younger son disrespected the father. So does this older son disrespect the father. The father's begging him to come in. And, and this older son is like cuts the father off and he says, look. These many years, all these years, I've served you, and I've never disobeyed your command. But you've never even given me as much as a goat, never less the fattened calf, for me to celebrate with my friends. And of course, the father responds that you've always been here with me, with me, and everything that I had was yours. And he even tells him it was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and, and is found. The older brother had a wrong attitude, but he's also taken the wrong approach to get the inheritance. The younger brother's was, uh, approach was this, I, I, you know, give me the inheritance, I'm going to take the money and run, I'm going to go have fun, and it led him to a life of sin that cost him more than he ever thought it would cost him in his life. But the elder brother is not really concerned about the father either. He's more concerned about the inheritance. He's just trying to get it a different way. He's trying to earn the inheritance by faithfully staying there and serving the father. Thinking that he's earning his way. That's why he looks at the father and he says, look, I've done this and I've done that and I've done this. So, so you ought to be throwing a party for me. And the point you need to get is this. There are multitudes of people who think somehow the way to God, the way to heaven, the way to an eternal inheritance is all about how hard you work in the field. How much you obey the Father. How good you are yourself. That was the mentality of the Pharisees. That's the reason Jesus is telling this story. The Pharisees would have been shocked that the father let the younger son come back, but now they're shocked for another reason. As far as we know, Jesus closes this story with the lost son being accepted into the party and the elder legalistic son outside the party. That would have 
challenged everything the Pharisees thought, everything that they believed about salvation, because they believed you had to be good enough. That you could obey enough. That you could work in the field enough to earn your way. And the father goes out and he invites this older son to come into a grace party. That's what was happening. It was a grace party. Your son doesn't deserve it, but I've received him back. We're having a party. I've given him grace. It was a grace party that he was throwing for the younger son. And he goes out and he begs this older son, this legalistic son, to come to the grace party and he refuses. Can I ask you a question? Have you ever been invited to a grace party and you refused? Because you can't work in the field enough to save yourself. You can't obey the Father enough to save yourself. You cannot be good enough. You cannot be a Pharisee among Pharisees and earn your way to heaven. You don't get your everlasting inheritance by what you do. It only comes as a gift, as grace. From a heavenly Father that loves us, who sent His Son to die on the cross for our sins. The first parable he told, someone went and looked for the sheep. The second parable he told, someone went and looked for the coin. The third parable, no one went and looked for the lost son. You don't know whose responsibility it was? Not the father. But in their culture in that day and time, it would have been the responsibility of the elder son. And he refused to do it. Thank God that our Father in heaven had an elder son, Jesus Christ, who came into this world to find you and to find me. Not because we deserved it, not because we earned it, but by His grace, He invites us to His party. The point of Jesus telling this story is pretty much seen in in this verse, in verse 32. It's fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. I hope you'll evaluate today as we come to the end of this service. But we're going to talk about this parable, like I said, for eight more Sundays. And in small groups, if you're in a small group. But I I hope you'll evaluate today your own personal attitudes. I hope you'll evaluate where you are. I hope you'll ask yourself, am I maybe pictured by that younger son? And I've really gone, I've really messed my life up. And I hope you'll have a wake-up call right now and return to the Father, because he's standing with open arms. But I also hope you'll evaluate if you know you belong to him and you know you're a Christian. I hope you'll evaluate your own attitudes toward others. Are you the kind of person that looks down on sinners and builds yourself up? Are you trusting in your own goodness? Are you trusting in your own works? Or are you trusting in a gracious Father that invites you to His party? Let's pray.
Father, God, search our hearts and challenge our hearts right now. Lord, if there's anyone here that's pictured by this youngest son, and they've walked away from you, and, and they find themselves more or less in a pig pen right now, Father, their, their choice of walking away from you has take them, taken them farther away from you than they ever imagined it would. Father, right now, maybe they find themselves involved in something they hate, something they disdain, something that they said was wrong, and yet that's where they find themselves. Father, help them to have a wake-up call and, and see they need to come to you. God, forgive us for times that we've been like the elder brother. looking down on the sin of others, judging the sin of others, failing to see our own sin and our own self-righteousness. Speak to us through these weeks as we study this story that your son told us. Help us to find ourselves in this story. Correct our hearts in this story. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day 3 Church. Day 3 Church. Experience a new day in your life.